screen right there. I forgot to change that one, Al. <laughs> We've been looking at some things, uh, you know, this interesting uh, sermon uh, series uh, called Questions at Christmas Answers, and, and last week looking at uh, one of the questions of that is, you know, is, is uh, are there many paths to God? And I think we discovered that, um, well, we all know that, I think, but uh, certainly looking at some of the some of the evidences that there are and understanding that really in, in truth that there are there is only one path there's a reason why Jesus said I am the way the truth and life that no one comes to the Father except through me um, and today just looking at another question that uh, this this uh, se- season asks of us and and that is the the question of what does God really what does he really do what does God really do it's kind of a question that we ask maybe, uh, well, let's, let's look at uh, our text for today. Luke chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse number 7, we'll read through that. And, and uh, the part of, first part of that Christmas story uh, we, that we hear a lot and often time each and every year. Uh, Luke chapter 2, starting with verse number, seven, uh, verse number 1. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. What did you do today? That's a question I think that sometimes that we, or oftentimes maybe, it's, a, it's sometimes a conversational uh, opener, you know, starter, uh, what did you do today, you know, or how you doing today, or something like that. Uh, most of the time, though, when we ask that question, you know, um, uh, what did you do today, it's, it's, we're really thinking that along those lines, I think, uh, how are you doing, or hello, and it's, it's maybe even not even expected to be a, a response for us. Sometimes, I think, though, it means what it means. I think that it means, uh, um, you know, uh, I mean, Friends sometimes really want to know, I guess, what you've been up to. And so they ask, what did you do today? Every once in a while, I think sometimes when someone asks what you've been doing, what they're really asking is, have you done anything today? <laughs> right? In other words, there's an, kind of an accusatory tone maybe in their voice where they uh, are maybe suggesting that you haven't been doing anything today. Right? Uh, what have you been doing today? What, uh, have you been doing anything? Um, it has that kind of a, I mean, a, of a flair to it. And, and, you know, I've often wondered how it feels, how God feels, when, when we sometimes question what He does. And, um, you know, we have times that are time, tough times. Uh, maybe we're going through some kind of a crisis, and God sometimes uh, maybe seems to be silent and seems to be inactive. And so we sometimes wonder whether or not He really does anything. And I mean, he, we know that he's here on Sundays, but we wonder what he does the rest of the week. You ever find yourself kind of questioning that, and, right? We do sometimes. Um, what does God do? 
does he do anything to help me through my troubles or is he, to use H.G. Uh, Wells' bitter phrase, is he an ever absent help in time of trouble? Um, and obviously, uh, um, I, I think that the Bible seems to have an answer to that. It's uh, this, uh, the his, the, this, this historical record is a, is, a, is a record of God's activity, His active involvement throughout all of history. Um, and I think that if we see, if, if God ever stopped doing even for a second what He does, I think this whole universe would fall apart. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. It says that in Him all things hold together. In God all things. If God were to stop His involvement in our, our world for even a second, I think everything would just come to a a grinding halt because he is and he so we understand that he is involved in our world and that was one of the qualities that radically distinguished him from the false gods that were made and that were worshipped by men um, I love I, I just uh, I'm, I'm still uh, I'm, I'm toward the end of the book of Isaiah I've been reading through the book of Isaiah but Isaiah 46 is a very incredible passage. I encourage you to read that. Um, God spoke through this prophet Isaiah to show, I think, the world how different that he really was. Isaiah, by the way, he, he had been forced, like so many Jews, out of Palestine into Babylon, and there he saw for himself what, any, what another religious system looked like. He saw temples, he saw uh, that, were, that were filled with these man-made idols worshipped as gods by the Babylonian people. And during the, the New Year festival, these, these massive idols, they would actually, they would be carried out of their temples and, and placed on the backs of animals and slowly hauled through the streets for people to see and for them to worship. But tragedy struck the Babylonian Empire when a man by the name of Cyrus of Persia conquered everything in sight. And eventually he moved on he moved on the city of Babylon, and Cyrus and his armies attacked the, that pagan city. And Isaiah watched as the as the ba- Babylonians cried historically, or hysterically to the to these idol gods. And but but what could images of wood? What could images of stone? What could they actually do? They they were simply the creations of the people's imaginations, and creation of their hands. But but you think about that. And what uh, that would be like. I mean, I was thinking about that the other day. You know, I was hungry and I wanted to make my kids some 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 uh, some lunch. And I thought, you know what? We could make a hero. We could think about something in our minds of making a sandwich, and and we can pile on all the turkey and all the ham and all the beet roast beef and get this this. And just merely thinking of that sandwich isn't going to fill their stomachs, is it? Right. Um, but you, I think in the same way the Babylonians, they, they discovered that these idols that they dreamed up in the, in the it, they were dreamed up in the mind of man. They didn't have the power to, to really do anything to help them in times of trouble. They, they just, uh, they had no power. And in fact, they had to be picked up and carried around by, by people. But Isaiah 46, the Babylonians, they put their trust in those, those kinds of God with, when, when the God, the God of the universe, was able to pick up and to rescue the people. But I, I love Isaiah 46 because it just screams with sarcasm as, as Isaiah talk, talks uh, about these, these uh, idols. And 
Some people, he says in verses 6 and 7, Isaiah 46, verses 6 and 7, he says, Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god, and they, they bow down and they worship it. They lift it up on their soldiers and they, shoulders and they carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot it cannot move. The one cries out to it, it does not answer. It cannot save him from his troubles. You hear, hear almost the sarcasm in, in the voice of, of Isaiah as he's talking about the, 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 the process that they've gone to carve out and to make these idols, and then, and then they expected to do something for them. Isaiah watched as, the, as these people frantically bundled up their idols uh, to flee the city only to have Cyrus seize them and hold the idols up in mockery as trophies of their victory. And in the presence of such powerlessness, God uses Isaiah to remind us of his involvement in the affairs of the nation of Israel. And the contrast couldn't be more dramatic. Look at verse, verses 3 and 4 of Isaiah 46. God says, listen to me, house of Jacob, all you who remain of the house of Israel, you who, whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. God shows how drastically different he is from the idols of Babylon. Instead of having to be carried, in contrast to the gods of the pagans, here was a God who could do the carrying. Here was a God who wasn't just a figment of the imagination of the creation of their hands. I like this quote by um, a fellow by the name of John Claypool. Claypool. He says, to see God's involvement in our lives, we need to widen our perceptions of what constitutes God's carrying us and bearing us. And today I really want us to, what I wanted us to do, uh, I want us to do that uh, by, by looking at five of the things that God has done and He continues to do. And it's, uh, I think at this point that the Christmas story can be most helpful because, uh, you know, here more than anything anywhere else, I think the Bible records that God really did do something. I think the best example of that is, is that God uh, did of, of him doing something is that he actually became one of us, right? On that first silent holy night, he joined us in, in, in the human struggle. He entered into our world the way that it, everyone else has, and he participated fully in this journey from the womb all the way to the tomb. In Jesus, only in Jesus, God became flesh. He became a man. Though his birth was supernatural, Jesus' birth was that of a normal human child, normal child born of a human mother. And so like you and me, you think about some of the things that Jesus would have experienced. He would have gotten hungry, right? He would have gotten thirsty. His uh, feet would have ached. He, he would have got tired from, from traveling. Uh, he, he, uh, when he was hurt, he would have bruised. He would, when he was sad, he, he wept. When, when he was happy, he smiled. When he was angry, he showed it. To, you know, when he got cold, uh, I have no doubt that, that Jesus got goosebumps. And when he got hot, that he sweat. That, 
he needed sleep, he needed refreshment. And Jesus, God came down to our level. He experienced what you and I experience. And so he fully is fully able to understand us. He is fully able to sympathize with us. I love this passage from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. As the prophet Isaiah has foretold, that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, meant that now God had a new name. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God promised to be with us. He promised to carry us. He promised to bear us and sustain us from the time that we were born until the time that our, ter- that our hairs uh, turn gray and we face death itself. See, the most important thing that God has ever done is when He sent Jesus to be born that first Christmas night. In the birth of Jesus, God was acting to change eternity for those who will let Him do so. And that's only a a part of what God does. He doesn't just come along inside of us and say, you know, I I understand your problems. I I sympathize with that. I've been through that too. He doesn't just come along and do that. He actually does something that can make all the difference in the world, which I think brings up our second way that we would answer this question. What does God really do? Well, sometimes God miraculously intervenes in our lives to help us, right? The Bible's full of examples of God acting to help out people, uh, uh, even nations. He spoke through the prophets. We know that. He appeared to Moses through this burning bush. He parted the Red Sea and so Israel could walk across on, on dry land. I love the, the rest of that. They got under dry land, and what did he do? He poured all the waters back on and over the whole Egyptian army. And he, he sends fire from heaven you know, to consume Elijah's sacrifice. Um, and, and, then, and then that, you know, we, there's example after example. The, the, the Old Testament is filled with stuff like that, but, but more to the point of what we're looking at during this season of the year, that baby born in Bethlehem grew up and stilled storms. He healed the sick. He, he raised the dead. Throughout Scripture, time and time again, God actually did miracles. He performed miracles, powerfully intervening in history. Now, the question is, I think sometimes at least I don't I don't know if this is a um, well see so I think sometimes we are are tempted to think that God's intervention is just a thing of the past. I think that too often we read God's word as if those stories were just that a thing of the past, a way in which God used to work. I think too often we read the Bible not realizing that those aren't just stories but living illustrations of the God that, that who, uh, who, of who God is, of the God that, that we serve. Powerful testimony that the God that we read about doesn't change but He continues to, to, to interact in the lives of those who draw near to Him, that He still intervenes today. And I know that because I've seen Him act that way in my life. Have you seen Him act that way in your life? 
25 years ago, this past August actually, 25 years ago in August, Susan and I loaded all of our belongings. Was it 20, 1992? Yeah, two and five is seven, isn't it? 25 years ago, we loaded all of our belongings in my father-in-law's cattle trailer. I don't know how many cows can fit into that little trailer. Uh, we headed off um, with, and, and Susan's parents came along with us, we were headed off to Lincoln, Illinois. And a month earlier, we'd actually been in Lincoln, Susan and I, had, and, and we'd, I registered for classes at Lincoln Christian Seminary. And when we went looking for an, uh, we went to look for an apartment then. But you might say that finding an apartment was kind of a, we were looking for some kind of a sign. Is this really, really, God, is this, is this really what you want us to do? We did find an apartment. And when we arrived in Lincoln, Susan's parents then helped us move in. But all we had was that apartment and we had a student loan, but the rest we left into God's hands. Shortly after we started unpacking our boxes, both uh, I made Susan go out and look for a job. I mean, both of us started looking for jobs. <laughs> I'm sorry. We both started. I walked into a grocery store and talked with the manager, filled out an application, and headed back to our apartment. It was interesting because I went in there. The first thing that they told me was, yeah, we don't have anything. Sorry. I want to fill something out anyway. I did. Went and talked with the manager, told him that I really wanted a job, and told him what my circumstances were and how hard I'd work for him. He said, nope, sorry, glad that you're filling this out and everything else, but that's, uh, we don't have anything available. No more than got back to my apartment, walked in the door, and literally the phone was ringing off the hooks, and he said, you know what, can you be here in, I don't remember, was it that same day or the next day, uh, if you can come on in. And, so, and I worked there throughout my time there. That same week that uh, Susan found a job, uh, it really gets better. A couple days later, we had the, the minister from Lincoln Christian Church stop by, uh, Tom and Karen Gertz, uh, wonderful people, stopped by with a plate of cookies. Um, and from that point on, we started to not only attend Lincoln Christian Church, but serve there with that. I mean, we were all of a sudden involved with the youth ministry and, the, and the singing uh, and worship and playing playing our instruments and all that kind of stuff. It was just amazing. God, God just provided. And, but I, I, I think that sometimes, we, and I, I share that, and I, I hope that we have stories like that as well. I think that if we look back, we would see that. But I share that because I, you know, I think too often we look for burning bushes as proof that God is actually working in our lives. I guess in my mind, I think that is a burning bush. How else do you explain that chain of events that took place it was proof to me of God's love and that He isn't just some distant creator that's, that's off somewhere, but He is intimately involved in my life, in your life, and He wants to be that close God. And I, again, I hope that you all have similar, similar stories. I, I, I believe that you have similar stories to share um, your own accounts of God's intervention in your life because God really does things like this. But that's not all he does. He doesn't just work around us. He also works in and through us. Um, and in so doing, he enables us to do some things that we're designed and that we're gifted to do. So he, 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 he works in and through us. Uh, I love Ephesians 2.10 where it says that we, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Um, 
several years ago, and I, I, uh, I was just another student on the campus of Bemidji State University. I had a job as a student manager of the cafeteria for uh, on, on the campus there. Uh, ARA services was what I was working. But at first, I was living in the dorms, but then, through an encouragement of my friend, I started to work for. I actually moved to an apartment that was above a funeral home, and I went to work for the funeral home. The, the, the key thing is they didn't really pay a lot of money for that f at that place, but I got to live there for free. That's huge for a college student. It, it's an amazing. But I did keep my job on campus, uh, but I went to work for the funeral home, had to work every other day and every other weekend. And uh, it was quite an experience there working for that funeral. I, I oftentimes wonder, well, what on earth would I be doing here? And a lot of my friends ask me that same question. Why, I mean, why on earth would you want to go to work at a funeral home? And to be honest with you, I, at the time, I, I had no reason why. to. I, I didn't know why I was there. I mean, other than, man, I, could, I didn't have to pay for rent, right? And yet, as I look back on that, it seems to me that God was preparing me to understand people who, who are grieving, to know how to reach out to people. Uh, who have experienced loss, uh, bringing comfort or help to bring comfort to their lives. It's, it's just funny to me how God leads us into places that we don't, we don't think that we're going to go. Um, have you ever wondered why God made, made each of us the way that we are? Uh, hopefully as we become older we kind of go, you know what, I get it, right? Each one of us is uniquely handcrafted by God and, and when we become Christians, His Spirit then comes, in, comes to live in, in us and to empower us to do what He has designed us to do. And so, you know, if we want the world to see God, we have to allow Him to use us and to work through us. So God is involved in our lives. He works around us. He works in and through us. But then He also works, a fourth thing God does is that He guides us through life. He guides us through life. I, one of my favorite psalms has got to be Psalm 139. David, this shepherd king, he knew that God was a, was a God who guided us through life. He, he wrote of God's willingness to guide us in Psalm 139. Here's, listen to what he write, writes. And, um, he said, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. I think this is the New Living Translation, if I remember which one I chose. He says, you know, when I sit, when I stand. When I'm far away, you know my every thought. You chart the path ahead of me and you tell me where to stop and, and rest. Every moment you know where I am, you know what I am going to say before I even say it. I love that passage. God, you know me intimately. You guide where I'm, you guide my steps. And, and the Bible is, is so full of examples of how God has shown David's statements to, to be true as, uh, as he willingly, as he specifically guided someone, you think about Noah, guided Noah to build an ark. You got Abraham, he's, he's asked, God asked him to leave his country, to leave his family, and to go to a land that he would show him. And so he guided him, uh, he, he guided Abraham's servants so that they could find a, a wife for Isaac. Or you got stories of uh, the people of Israel, they're on this journey they're out of Israel, and they're being led by this pillar of a cloud by, by, uh, um, by day and this pillar of fire by night. God guides them in, in detail, even to the smallest of, of decisions. 
He says, if you get sick, uh, you know, this is how you can get well and, 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 and protect others from being infected, um, which incidentally, just a side note, um, we, oftentimes we look at maybe at God's laws and, and, and the things that He has, His commandments and His word, and we think, man, how, how, how stringent, and, and yet God knows each and every one of us and what we need because He made us, and His laws are protection for us because He knows how we're designed, and He knows that if we, if we, if we live outside of that design that we're going to be harming ourselves, and so that's why you know, he, he understands uh, all of these things about you know, what to do when you get sick and how to, how to protect yourselves from getting, you know, um, from getting infected. If you're hungry, the, this is what you can, can eat and this is what you should avoid. And, and when it came time to build the temple, God gave Solomon some very specific instructions down to the measurements of the temple utensils. The shepherds were given specific instructions that guided them to the Christ child. The wise men were given a star to light their way. After Jesus' birth, Joseph was instructed in a dream, you need to, you need to flee from Egypt with your family so as to avoid death at the hands of Herod. The book of Acts could just as well be entitled the book of guidance. The apostles are guided to wait until they are empowered in that room, uh, until they're empowered with the Holy Spirit. Then. Then after two apostles are, are imprisoned, God sends this angel to guide them out of jail. You got Ananias, guided by God to go and pray for that persecutor Saul. Peter is guided to enter into the house of Cornelius. Uh, we just could go on and on about demonstrating the guidance of God. Psalm chapter 12, 25, verse 12. David says, Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. Or one of my favorites, Proverbs 16:9. In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. My, uh, I got a friend of mine that calls me up because he, he and I had memorized that that passage and I was, I was discipling him and we were talking together and he now calls up and the first thing on his mind is he says, he doesn't say it like I just read it, in his heart the man plans his course but the Lord determines his steps. See God is willing, able to guide every moment of our lives. He invites us into a relationship with him and he promises to guide us through each intersection on the road of life. So what does God really do? Well, He works around us. He works through us. He guides us. And then one, one last way that God is involved in our lives, sometimes He just steps back and He lets us learn from our rebellious ways. Right? None of you have ever felt that before, right? One of the greatest pictures of God in the Bible is God as a father. That's not always a, a, a popular, maybe, uh, you know, in our day, day and age, that image of father uh, for many people is a fearful thing. I, th I think it's tragic. But the image of God as a father is an image of what a true father is like. And, and as our father, God allows us 
to learn in various ways what we refuse to be taught in any other way. He sometimes lets us learn those things through sufferings. He sometimes helps us or lets us to, to be taught through our mistakes. I think Peter, the Apostle Peter, is a great example of that. More than once Jesus allowed, this, allowed uh, Peter to, to have his own way and, and, and learn from the consequences of, of ignoring Jesus' guidance. I, maybe the most dramatic episode took place on the last night of, of Jesus' life as, as he alerted the disciples of what was ahead. I mean, he specifically warned Peter that, that Peter would actually, in fact, deny him before morning. But Peter wouldn't listen to that, and he made a typical brash promise. He says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and even to death. And when he said that, God didn't miraculously step in and to stop him from denying Jesus. Instead, he acted by stepping back and allowing Peter to fail. What God did was enable Peter to endure a devastating experience and come out, it, come out of that a wiser and deeper person. And I believe that God works in our lives like that today. And I think that that when he, he does, we sometimes, that's, that's when we really begin to complain that, you know, God do, isn't doing anything. God's doing nothing at all, that, that he's an ever-absent help in time of trouble. And I think that what we usually mean by that is that God hasn't intervened in our lives. In the midst of a crisis, he hasn't done what Jesus did when he calmed the storm and he raised the dead. But I think sometimes God intervenes by stepping back. What would Peter have become if God didn't step back and, and allow him to make his mistakes and endure the consequences of those mistakes? I think that any wise parent knows the answer to that question. Peter would have lived with the dependence of an infant all of his life. The best way to, to wreck a child's potential is to constantly intervene and solve their problems for them. You know, for years, the, the bears that live in Yellowstone National Park had depended on the food scraps that were given to them by, you know, left behind by all the tourists. And some years ago, the park was closed for several months because of some heavy snow. And when it was reopened, the park rangers found dozens of dead bears. Bears who had died of starvation because they had forgotten how to feed themselves. I told my wife that when we were about to feed the cats. You know, if you, if you keep feeding them, when we go on vacation for a week, then somebody's got to feed them, otherwise they'll die, you know. Get them out there cleaning, you know, eating the mice, right? They can fend for themselves. Cat can fend for themselves, isn't that right? Yeah. But you know, America, I think, is filled with similar casualties because we have confused, I think, sometimes overprotectiveness with love. And in the attempt to keep our children from making mistakes, making mistakes, we have kept them from maturing. But see, part of the good news of, of, of God's Word is that our Father in Heaven is much wiser than many fathers here on earth. He knows how to guide us toward maturity, which means that He won't intervene in our lives so often that we become spoiled. And He won't intervene in our lives so often that our true potential becomes stifled. Sometimes God steps back 
and he lets us learn from our, our, our mistakes. Not as an absent God, lets us learn from our rebellious ways, right? Not as an absent God, but still an ever-present God in times of trouble. So as we close here, what would you say if we were, you, were to, you were asked, you know, what does God really do? Well, hopefully you'd say, well, He understands. He knows what it's like to be human. Because that first Christmas morning, He actually became one. But that's not all that, he does, that He's done. He, he doesn't just sympathize with us. Oftentimes he, uh, he powerfully acts in and through our lives. He always guides us when we let Him. And perhaps the, the thing that, that He does most like a parent is when He steps back and He lets us learn from our mistakes so that we, we grow into more mature people. When Jesus was born... God didn't just become one of us so that He could understand us. He became one of us so that He could die for us. God came to this earth so that He could take our sins upon His shoulders. He conquered death for us. And that is the greatest miracle, in my opinion, of all time. Parting the Red Sea arranging the events in a seminary student's life. Stuff like that is nothing compared to the miracle that takes place when a person like you or me repents of his or her sin and accepts God's forgiveness through Jesus' death on the cross. I love the words of this old song, and I'll close with this. My father is omnipotent, omnipotent, and that you can't deny. A God of might and miracles, tis written in the sky. It took a miracle to put the stars in, in space. It took a miracle to hang the world in place. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. And we celebrate that as we celebrate Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for what you do in our lives. Please don't stop doing what you do. Um, God, we know that you are actively involved. You're not just a God who has wound up the world and just let it off to, to uh, just fend for itself, but you have been intimately involved in your world ever since. God, help us to recognize that you, in fact, do do work in, do work in some, some incredible ways. I wonder sometimes how, how the people uh, in the Bible would have, rec would, have, would have thought about the extraordinary things and, and events that you were doing in, in their lives. We know that, uh, that some people heard your voice and, and, and some thought it, some uh, had described it as being thunder, but others described it as being the voice of God. And I just pray, God, that this Christmas time that you would just tune up our ears, open up our ears wide, our eyes wide open, so that we could recognize your amazing activity all around us, in and through us, guiding us, directing us, Father, we pray that you would help us to see maybe sometimes what we have been missing, what's there, but we have not been looking for it. But help us to see 
this Christmas season. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.